Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Hey everybody, we want to welcome you back to our series, Detour. For the last six weeks, we've been in a series taking us together on a discipleship tour as we read in the New Testament. Now, we're really glad that you're joining us this morning Because as we continue this series, just a reminder of the anchor verse that we're using. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Just six words. Go make disciples of all nations. In this series, we've talked about the the what of discipleship. We've talked about the how of discipleship. Last weekend, we focused on the who. And the who is all nations. Jesus came for the all. He came for all nationalities. He came for every ethnicity. And uh, this morning, we're really glad to have you joining us because today we're going global here at Grace Crossing Church. Now, I've reminded us in this series of kind of the big idea. And it's that it's this, that discipleship flows into mission and discipleship flows out from mission. So at the core of Jesus's vision was making disciples. And this morning, as we go global, we're going to talk about the all nations. I'm really thrilled to have one of my longtime friends here. He's a ministry partner and a missionary partner of of us here at Grace Crossing Church. Uh, His name is Randy Young. And I first got to know Randy when I was serving as a youth pastor here in the state of Ohio, up in the Cleveland area. In 1993, Randy planted an out-of-the-box church at the time. It was a church in Cleveland Heights. It was a church that was focused on relational and racial reconciliation. It was a church that was designed at the very beginning to be a beacon and a safe harbor for all nationalities. And at New Song Church, uh, Randy actually pioneered and pastored a wonderful multi-ethnic, multicultural church that, that became a safe harbor for people from many different ethnicities and backgrounds. And I remember that at the time getting my attention as a youth pastor. Uh, again, Randy did just a wonderful job of planning a vibrant church that became a really reflection of the heart of God in Cleveland. And I've been able to just kind of stay connected with Randy through the years. In 2009, he pioneered and founded an organization that he continues to lead as the executive director today called the Agora Group. And as God continued to develop and grow his missionary heart for the nations, God planted this missionary dream in his heart to be a, an organization that would really raise up, resource, and train indigenous leaders to go to the unpeep unreached peoples groups of the world. And that's what the Agora Group is doing. And so I'm really thrilled to have Randy Young with us this morning. And you're going to be blessed by what he shares about what God is doing globally in the world, especially in the area of unreached peoples groups in our world. Randy is a legacy leader. Randy is a guy with a missionary heart, a big missionary heart, and he's a global thinker. And you're going to be so encouraged and blessed by what he has to share today. So we don't often have guests here at Grace Crossing Church. This is a special occasion for us as we go global this morning. And what I'd like to do is have all of you that are joining us in person today to stand right now with me. All of you that are joining us in person, would you please just stand up right now? Thank you so much. And what I'd like you to do now is put your hands together. And would you welcome Randy Young as he comes to this platform as he shares what God has laid on his heart this morning. Go ahead and have a seat. (laughs) Well, thank you, Pastor Gill, (laughs) for that introduction. Good morning, Grace Crossing. 
Oh, come on. Good morning, Grace Crossing. Excited to be in God's house this morning. Man, um, I am very excited to be a part of this series, Detour, Discipleship Tour. Uh, Today, we do want to talk about to the ends of the earth, capturing the second part of that anchor verse, Matthew 28, 19, that says, go make disciples, come on, of all nations. Isn't that right? We want to talk about the of all nations part of that today. I'd like to begin this way this morning. Let's start with a question, all right? I want you to picture this in your mind. Imagine something 750,000 miles long. At that length, it would go around the circumference of the earth 30 times, and it gets 20 miles longer every day. Got that in your mind? 750,000 miles long, 30 times around the earth, 20 miles longer every day. Folks, that is the line of the lost on planet earth today. If we took every person that is yet to discover life and love in Jesus Christ and put them shoulder to shoulder, that line would go around the earth 30 times. It gets 20 miles longer every day. And at this season of life and ministry, Becky and I have one dream and one goal, and it's to shorten that line. Come on, isn't that right? Isn't that why we're still on the planet today? Isn't that why we're not in heaven already? Our job is to do everything we can to shorten that line and make disciples of all nations. Hun, why don't you stand? 42 years of marriage and ministry gets better every year. So thankful. Uh, Over those 40 some years, we've dreamed a lot of ministry dreams. Uh, Gil alluded to some of them, but one dream consumes us today. And that's that languages spoken on earth would be heard in heaven and worship for the very first time. I'm gonna say that again. Languages currently spoken on earth would be heard in heaven in worship for the very first time because currently there's no one from that tribe, that, that ethnicity that knows Jesus. So it's hard to believe it's been 16 years that uh, Becky and I stepped away from the church we planted, the church we love that Gil alluded to, 35 nationalities worshiping and, uh, together, and uh, we went into full-time missions. Uh, now over 20 nations later, over 300 young adults later that we have from this nation invested our lives in from three months to three years of their life. Now, some of them four and five years through Agora College that we have in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we're more passionate than ever to immerse the next generation in God's heart for the nations and God's global work. And over the last 10 years, we've been working in the nation of Columbia. How many you know, not necessarily the safest place on the planet, but working in the nation of Columbia, um, working with young Colombians called to reach the 80 tribes of Colombia, resourcing them, um, training them, discipling them, and, and uh, spiritually parenting them. I travel by tent and sleeping bag from the Andes. That, come on, do I look like a tent and sleeping bag guy to anybody out there? Huh? From the Andes, the Amazon, working with indigenous church planters. And, and some of those young Colombians, uh, one, one young lady named Betty, Uh, now in her early 30s, but at the time, late 20s, uh, speaking five indigenous languages, led one of our teams deep into the Amazon for a summer. She went among uh, three unreached tribes, the Tanimuka, the Leituama, and the Makuna. And one day she found herself amongst the Makuna tribe. And ironically, she was sharing John 3.16 with a young man by the name of Juan. And as Juan was hearing the story of Jesus for the very first time in his life, he interrupted her and he said, Betty, how long ago did this man die? And Betty said, well, Juan, it's been over 2,000 years. And as she continued with the story, he interrupted her again. And she said, he said, Betty, did this man die for me too? Of course he did, Juan. Why would you ask that? And, and Juan said this to Betty. Betty, do you mean a man died for me and nobody's ever told me? Why? 
Folks, isn't that the million dollar question today? 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we still have over 7,000 people groups on this planet that do not have a church in their language and on their soil. Uh, 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 86% of Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims have never even met a follower of Jesus. 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, 24 people every minute go into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus one time. I'm happy to report today that Juan and several of his friends were saved and baptized. Mm-hmm. And how cool is it to think that today praise is going to the throne of God in the Makuna tongue for the very first time because of a passion to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, tribes and tongues, discipling all nations, the never reach. This was the call and the conviction of the Apostle Paul, he would say in Romans 15, I make it my ambition to preach where Christ is not yet known. And we're going to look at this scripture from Romans chapter 15. We're going to read several verses this morning. Uh, Paul begins with this in verse 15. He says, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus and my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, and this is from Isaiah 52, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. But now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. I love the heart of God. In Romans 15, Paul is pivoting from arguably the most detailed, in-depth teaching in the New Testament in the first 14 verses of the book of Romans Paul in Romans 15 begins to reveal his great missionary heart. If the book of Acts tells uh, Paul's story, then Romans 15 reveals his passion. And if the book of Acts reminds us of his courage, the sense of the beatings, the persecutions, and doing whatever it takes to see those who have never heard, to hear the name of Jesus for the first time, then Romans 15 reveals his singular focus. And that singular focus was to make disciples of all nations. Let me give you a simple definition of making disciples that I love. To disciple someone, I believe, is to replicate, and that's an important word, is to replicate the character, ways, and mission of Jesus in another person. To replicate the character to look more like Jesus, the ways to think more like Jesus, and the mission of Jesus to act more like Jesus and to engage more like Jesus globally in another person. In fact, in my mind, a disciple, there's four parts of discipleship. A disciple is a learner, okay? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A disciple is a follower. Take up your cross and follow me. 
a disciple is an ambassador. We are citizens of heaven and we are representing our king, our sovereign on earth as long as he gives us days on earth. And a disciple is a replicator or a reproducer. A disciple, every disciple should be a disciple maker taking what we have learned about Jesus and passing it on to somebody else. So a disciple is a learner, a follower, ambassador, and a reproducer. And Paul was called to go. He was called to make disciples of all nations. And in his second missionary journey, he began with a simple desire to go back to Asia, back to the churches he had planted, back to the regions he had reached, and then to push the borders a little bit farther. And if you were a part of Paul's apostolic team on that second journey, you would have been very frustrated. Because you walk for a couple of days and Paul would say, no, that's not it. And you'd walk again in another direction and the Spirit of God would say, no. And it was no, 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 no. And it was something like, Paul, will you please stop? Will you please listen to the Lord? We're tired of wandering all over Asia Minor. And finally, Paul gets a vision from a man from Macedonia. And in that vision, the man from Macedonia, modern day Europe said, come over and help us. And for Paul, help us meant one thing, bring us the gospel and disciple us in the ways of the Lord. So Paul would make the journey with his team into Europe, into Macedonia, Three cities and three church plant, plants later, he's been run out of town from every location and he finds himself in Athens. And in Athens, he's on Mars Hill among the great learned men of, of, of Greek society. And he makes an incredible presentation of God and the gospel to these men on Mars Hill. And then he, and they're, they're, they're with him and they're listening till he gets to the point where he talks about God raising a man from the dead who will one day judge the earth. And when they heard about the resurrection, the scripture says in Acts 17, some laughed, some said later, maybe we'll talk about this at another time, but, but some believed, and I love that. Some, some laughed, some said maybe later, but some believed. And I wanna say today, church, we gotta be okay with that in the culture in which we live. If we are going to make, be reaching people Reaching the lost and making disciples, we've got to be okay if some laugh. If some say, maybe later, because some will believe. Paul did not plant a church in Athens. And as he moved on to Corinth, he had no idea that one of the men listening to him on Mars Hill that day, Dionysus, would one day become the first bishop of the church of Athens. How cool is that? As he moved on to Corinth, he had no idea that the Parthenon, that majestic temple uh, on Mars Hill that was the backdrop for his speech that one day the Parthenon would become a Christian church. He had no idea. He had no idea that to this day, every year, every Good Friday, every flag in Greece is lowered half-mast in honor of the crucifixion of our Lord. And that every Easter Sunday, every flag in Greece would be raised full-mast to celebrate the resurrection. He had no idea. Folks, when we plant seeds, we just have no idea of what God can do with those seeds that we plant. So he moves on to Corinth. He spends 18 months there. He's now in his late 50s. He's been following Jesus for 25 years, all right? And, uh, and he's, he's, he's packed a lot in in those 25 years. And from Corinth, he writes this letter to the Christians in Rome that we read from. And Rome is a city that he's never visited. It's a church that he didn't plant. 
and he teaches in great detail in those first 14 chapters, and he writes boldly about the gospel. And I, and I love what he writes. You know, as we, look at, um, as we look at the gospel of John, as we study John, sometimes we focus on the I am statements of Jesus. Isn't that right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life, and on and on. But Paul makes three I am statements in the first chapter of Romans that are worth paying attention to. As a disciple of Jesus... He says this first, he says, I'm a debtor. Because of what Jesus has done for me, because his gospel reached me, I'm a debtor to every man, woman, and child on the planet that the gospel that came through me will go to me, will go through me to reach others in the world. Paul says, I'm a debtor. The second I am, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And then Paul makes this third statement that I love. And he says, he says I'm a debtor, I'm not ashamed. And he says this, you know what, I'm eager. I'm eager to bring the gospel to you who are in Rome also. I'm eager to make disciples in the boot of Italy. That was the passion of Paul. And now in chapter 15, what drives him as a missionary apostle is to make disciples of all nations. And first of all, he was driven by his clear call. Paul was called to the never reached of this world. Secondly, he was driven by a singular conviction. Paul was convinced of the power of the gospel, that it was the gospel of Jesus Christ and only the gospel of Jesus Christ that could change a human heart, that could change a family, that could change a community, that could change a nation. Paul was driven by a consuming passion for the glory of God. His clear call as a world Christian, as a global disciple, Paul was driven by this call. And he, as he reflects on past ministry and as he reflects on future plans, Paul says, you know what? Everything I've done, it's all because of grace, at Grace Crossing. <laughs> it's all because of grace. I have a simple definition for grace. It's two words, outside help. God, it's not in me to become this. It's not in me to do this. Without your grace, without the outside help of God's grace, I will not be what I'm called to be and I will not accomplish what I'm called to accomplish. Grace is outside help. And, and the Gentiles became Paul's offering to God. And he said, I will boast only in his glory and the joy of presenting discipled tribes to Jesus. And if the nations were the bullseye, I want you to picture a target, all right? If the nation, that red thing right in the middle, okay? If the nations were the bullseye for Paul, then I would submit to you that Paul was the tip of the spear or the tip of the arrow. First in. His apostolic team, his friends that traveled with him and supported him and worked alongside him, they were like the spearhead or the arrowhead. But how many of you know, as we're called to disciple all nations, that a spearhead or an arrowhead isn't very effective by itself? I mean, you can try to fling it. Isn't that right? I'm a lefty. You can try to fling it, but I don't know if you're going to hit the target. Isn't that right? What's needed? That spearhead, that arrowhead needs a shaft. Isn't that right? And, and I believe Paul saw the shaft that caused that apostolic team and the tip of the arrow to fly far and true and hit the target, I believe Paul saw the shaft as the church of Jesus Christ. He saw the shaft as you and I. 
A long, long time ago, as a youth pastor on the West Coast, I remember saying, Lord, how, how do I disciple teenagers in this environment? And uh, I wanted them to really understand the father heart of God. I wanted them to understand the power of the cross. I wanted them to learn how to listen to the spirit and understand the guidance of the spirit. I remember praying, God, how do I disciple teens? And I I remember this dropping into my heart, into my spirit that day as I was praying, uh, don't forget these two missing jewels in discipleship. I felt the Lord say, worldview and world vision as a part of making disciples. Now, worldview is simple. It is, it is translating our world and seeing our world through the lens of scripture instead of the lens of culture. That's having a biblical worldview. And um, uh, I note that this is a scary stat, but Barna in 2018 came out and said that only 4% of Gen Z today have a biblical worldview. 4%. World vision, on the other hand, I just felt the Lord saying, I want you to disciple this next generation into personally owning the Great Commission. They need to ask the question, God, where does my hand go on the spear of this Matthew 28, 19 arrow, on this Matthew 28, 19 spear? Where do you want my hand on the spear? Am I to be involved in intercession? Am I to be involved in financial support? Am I to be involved in organization? Am I to be involved in mobilization? Am I to go myself? Where do I fit? Where does my hand go on the spear? Paul saw himself as the tip of the spear, but I think he also saw himself as a continuation of an ancient call. And I want to take you back to the very first chapters of Genesis. You see, in Genesis 12, I believe God launches a mission through a man named Abraham to reach the nations of the world. Genesis 1 through 11, I kind of see it as the the warm-up to to, uh, uh, the introduction to the Word of God and the mission of God, all right? In Genesis 1 through 11, we we get the story of creation, maybe not in as much detail as we'd like, but we get the story of creation. We get the fall, all right? We get the flood. We get Babel. We get the sense of the scattering of nations and how languages and people groups ended up all over the planet in the first place. But in Genesis chapter 12, God goes on a mission. And and in Genesis chapter 12, he handpicks a man in Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, catch this, all the peoples of the world, that's all nations, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. And um, nothing I learned in Sunday school growing up, nothing I learned in Bible college, nothing I learned in seminary. But I'm seeing the word of God in a different way today. Because the word of God is so much more than, than wisdom for life. We understand financial principles, raising kids, all right? There's so much, there's so much good counsel in the word of God. But, but I'm seeing the word of God, 66 books, but one story. The story of God on a mission. And all those Bible stories that you and I learned, some of us from a, from a very young age, I'm beginning to notice a second set of characters in every one of those stories. Yeah, we can get wisdom for life, for, for life from Daniel and David and Esther and Mary and all these great Bible characters, but there's a second set of characters that I think heaven has had their eye on from the beginning. And that second set of characters in every Bible story is the nations of the world. 
Let me say it this way. For God so loved Egypt that he sent a Joseph. For God so loved Persia that he raised up an Esther. For God so loved Babylon, he sent Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. For God so loved Nineveh, that nation of terrorist thugs, the worst of their day. For God so loved Nineveh that, well, Jonah finally got there. Isn't that right? It took a little while, but, 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 but that culture was changed by the word and the power of God. One missionary said it this way. Gunter said, if you take missions out of the Bible, all you've got left is the covers. If you take missions out of the Bible, all you've got left is the covers. Paul, um, so it begs this question, okay? Does God's church have a mission or does God's mission have a church? That's really worth thinking about. Paul saw God writing the next chapter of God's great mission through his life. And I want to submit to you today, Grace Crossing, and every one of you individually, that God wants to write a chapter in the story of God through your life. Nobody, nobody's going to add another book to this book. Isn't that right? They better not try. But the story of God is still being written, and he wants to write a story through your life. He wants to write a story through my life in this great story of making disciples of all nations. In fact, in Galatians 3.29, Paul would say this to that church. He would say, if you're in Christ, anybody here in Christ, aren't you thankful to be in Christ today? Come on. If anybody's in Christ, you're Abraham's seed or Abraham's kids and heirs to the promise. What promise? Genesis 12. This is for you and I today. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed. That is Matthew 28, 19, discipleship promise that as we engage in the global work of God, he will use our lives to make disciples of all nations. So what's the great need today? We need a whole new wave of pioneer missionaries. In the last eight years, um, Becky and I have been working in Southeast Asia in the five southernmost nations there with a lot of student teams and personal involvement and on a strategy team on how to reach the Buddhist world with the gospel. And, and, and in Vietnam, we're training and empowering tribes um, that have the gospel to reach the tribes close to them that do not yet have the gospel to reach the never reached around them. And, and, and as we empowered and, and resourced a group of, of young people from a tribe that had the gospel, they went to a neighboring tribe and, and uh, they spent several months there just doing simple things. They did some community projects. They just loved on the people. They helped with the education process a little bit and upgraded education. They brought in some modern medicines that this tribe had no access to and was a real game changer. And a couple months in, here come the communist officials like, oh no, what's this all about? And the communist officials looked at our young friends and said, we want you to have these. And what are these? These are seven permits to build seven village churches among this tribe. They said, we know you didn't ask for these, but we really like what you're doing. Keep it up. Go and make disciples of all nations. The clear call of Paul was to take the gospel to the never reached. And that Matthew 28, 19 call is on the whole church and on every disciple today. 
It's time for the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. Or as the great British pastor John Stott said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. I'm gonna say that again. We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Now, secondly, Paul is a global disciple. Paul is a missionary apostle. Paul was driven by a singular conviction and that conviction was the power of the gospel, all right? He said in Romans 15, he said, my gospel came in word and in deed. In other words, I, I shared it and I lived it, the gospel. He said, also, my gospel came in sign and in wonder. Signs are called signs because they point to something. They pointed to Jesus. And wonders aroused curiosity in the people, validating both the messenger and the message that they were from God. Paul said, my, word came, my, my gospel came four ways. Word, deed, sign, and wonder from Jerusalem all the way around to modern-day Illyricum. And that's across from Italy, across the Adriatic, modern-day Albania, the former Yugoslavia, Croatia. You go on down into northern Greece. And in Illyricum uh, in 1995, I almost died in Illyricum in, Al in an Albanian prison. That's a whole other story that we won't get into today, all right, on a, on a missions venture that we were on there. But Paul was a gospel-centric man. He knew that all people were equally lost. Catch this but that all people did not have equal access to the gospel. And this is a very important thing. Around the globe, all people are equally lost, but people do not have equal access to the gospel, 24 per minute going to eternity without ever hearing the gospel one time. Um, quite often, uh, people come to me and they ask me, why are you going over there? Aren't there enough lost people right here in Ohio? Yeah, there are lost people all around us. But I also recognize that if you drove from Grace Crossing to downtown Dayton, what is that, maybe 15, 20 minutes, I don't know, something like that, how many churches would you pass along the way? See, it's not just about equal lostness, it's about equal access. And our job is to make sure that everybody has a chance to hear once while so many people are hearing twice and on and on and on and on. So it's about equal access. For Paul, it wasn't just about reaching people, but from Matthew 28 to Revelation 7, 9, it was about reaching peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues. Revelation 7, 9, I love it. I mean, imagine with me, all right? Well, I know as we work with young adults and as we have college students and all that, one, one of the things they, they want to know is what's God's, what's God's big dream for my life? And that's a great question. I've also asked them, I said, do you, do you ever wonder if God has a dream? I mean, if there was something that kept God up late at night musing into the future, I believe God does have a dream. And I think we find it in Revelation 7, 9, where scripture promises scripture promises that one day around the throne, there will be people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. I think that's the day that God looks forward to. That's his big dream. If that's his big dream, disciple nations around the throne of worship, how much should it be part of our big dream as well? Isn't that right? So for Paul, it wasn't just about people, but peoples, therefore preaching Christ where he was not yet known. We've got another partner in, in um, Southeast Asia in a country that will go unmentioned, communist nation. It's a country of only 6 million people, but they still have over 100 unreached people groups. We have one of our Agora graduates there now. I won't mention her name either, but for the last two years, she's been serving there. Uh, she was discipled into 
a Christian worldview and a Christian world vision, and she is now making disciples in the north of this country. There is a ministry base there. You can't be there as missionaries. They're in as business people called the Life Center. And the Life Center is an education center that educates over 100 tribal junior high and high school kids every day. They're teaching them English. They're teaching them life skills. They're giving them basic education. And they're providing for their personal needs. And I'll tell you, as you go there, I'll just say it this way. The darkness is tangible. You won't find a McDonald's for hundreds of miles. But there is a semi-Western restaurant there called Bamboozle. And any Westerners in the area flock to this place because you can get a pretty decent hamburger. And in this restaurant called Bamboozle that we would, we would frequent on a regular basis, there's a young man there that was working on his English. And he was working on his English in two ways. He was watching as much American television as he could. I don't know if that's a good idea. All right. And he was tending bar there because he would serve the Westerners and practice his English while he served the Westerners. And he got to know us and our, and our missionary partners that are full-time on the ground there. And he said, hey, and his English was pretty good. And he said, do you think I could teach at the Life Center? Well, we, we've never had anybody that wasn't a believer teach there. We're thinking and all that. And as our friends prayed, they said, you know what? We think the Lord's given us a green light to bring this guy on. And he said, um, you know what? I, I would like to uh, sit in on a couple of classes to see how you do it. And my friend um, said, that sounds good. And, and he said, um, uh, my friend always started his English classes with these uh, young tribal kids by writing a proverb on the board. And this one day he wrote this proverb on the board. I love it. A good name is to be more desired than great riches. He went on and taught the lesson. And after the class, the young man came up to him and said, I really like that proverb. Where did you get that? And my friend said, you know what? I got a whole book of them. <laughs> I love it. And he said, in fact... It's part of a bigger book called the Bible. Have you ever heard of the Bible? No. Have you ever heard of a man named Jesus? The Bible tells his story. No. I'm happy to report today that over time, this young man gave his heart to Christ baptized and being discipled. Baptized actually Easter Sunday in an underground church. We asked him, what, what's the best thing Jesus has done for you? And he said, you know what? He said, he said, the fear's gone. He said, in my culture, in my tribe, he said, we sleep at night with the lights on because we believe when the lights go out, the demons come in. He said, the fear's gone. What we did not know was that this young man was from a remote tribe in the mountains where the gospel's never been. This young man, we believe, is the first follower of Jesus ever from his tribe. How cool is that? He is the first disciple from his tribe. He speaks five dialects of tribes around him that do not yet have the gospel. His fiance has come to Christ and is baptized. She's from a local tribe where the gospel has never been. We believe not only do we have the first disciples in these tribes, we believe that we have the first Christian family. How cool is that in these tribes? We believe that we are raising up and discipling the first pastor to minister in these tribes. And we believe in God's timing, the first church among these tribes will be planted to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Yeah. All, all because of a proverb. All because of a pioneer. All because of a gospel 
that tells us to make disciples of all nations. For the Apostle Paul, the only and ultimate hope of the world was the good news of Jesus Christ. And, and finally, Paul as a global disciple, Paul as a missionary apostle, Paul was driven by one consuming passion, and that was the glory of God. His activity among the never reached in Asia Minor had put off his desired trip to Rome over and over again. And finally, he says to the Roman church in chapter 50, he says, I'm coming. He says, I'm just going to be passing through. He says, we can refresh each other while we're together. And he said, I hope you can assist me on my journey. I've never met a missionary that hasn't said, can you support me on my journey? Can you support me in my work? And I want to say this, hear this today, Grace Crossing, on behalf of all the missionaries, missionary families that you support around the world. I just want to say thank you today. Thank you for holding the rope as they descended into the darkness to make disciples of all nations. Paul saw Rome as a second base of operations. He had based out of Antioch. Now he was setting up a base of operations, hopefully in Rome, much more westward, because his desire was to go to Spain. He said, assist me. He said, because there's no more work for me left in these regions. And this blew me away. Paul, what are you saying? There are no more lost people in Asia where you're ministering right now? Paul, that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, look, um, no my call is to go where Christ is not known. I'm the tip of the arrow. Um, the church is planted here. Disciples are being made here. Leaders have been trained here. People are reaching their communities here. My call is to never, he said, I'm going to Spain. I'm going to Spain. You know what? Um, he would never get there. History tells us that Paul was beheaded for his faith on the Appian Way outside of Rome. But this really, really spoke to me. As a global disciple, as someone called to see Matthew 28, 19 fulfilled, I just say it this way. I want to die with a Spain in my heart. I, I want to die... With the neck, when my number's up, should Jesus come or God call me home? I want to die with the next big thing to do for God in my heart, like Paul did. Becky and I have often joked, we want to live long and die young for the glory of God. I don't want to die old. I don't want to die old. Think, I, I want to live long. I want to die young. Okay? Folks, in this hour, the Holy Spirit is restoring the mission of God to the people of God. In this hour, the story of God is still being written. And the Spirit of God wants to write a chapter of that story of making disciples of all nations through your life as you find where your hand goes on the spear. Like Paul, we have a clear call to disciple all nations. Like Paul, we need, we must have a clear conviction of the power of the gospel is the only thing that changes a human heart, a family, a culture, and a nation. Like Paul, may the consuming passion to see Jesus glorified and made big among every tribe and tongue, among all nations, may that burn inside us more than ever before. So I want to ask you as we close our time together, 
where does God want your hand on the Matthew 28, 19 spear, disciple of Jesus? Where does God want you to place your hand on the spear as we're called to disciple all nations? We must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. And that is Matthew 28, 19, discipleship, the way that Jesus intended it to be and the way that Paul lived it and the way that we are called as a church to exercise it today. This is Matthew 28, 19, discipleship. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord for just a second. I'm gonna give us a chance to reflect. Lord, by your spirit, speak to us in these next few minutes because we are your disciples. Lord, we want to commit our hands to the spirit of the Great Commission. I want to give you a chance to just reflect on what it means for each of us personally to be Matthew 28, 19, Great Commission, disciple makers. In just a second, Pastor Life will come and lead us in a response. with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. <clears throat> There's a lot that Randy has shared to us. He's stirred the mission of God. He's shared about the story of God and each of you have a place in that story. And God wants to speak to you. Maybe he wants to affirm what you're already doing. And allow him to do that. Many of you are supporting others. Many of you are in a surrendered place to go. Um, many of you are prayerful for others that are missionaries, whether here or abroad. Uh, but some he's nudging in a different direction. And I want you to listen what that might be. Take a little moment longer just to, to listen. Say, Lord, is there something else? Is there something else that you're stirring in me? I remember back when I was a youth pastor and the Lord stirred me to this place of here am I, send me. He stirred me to say that I was willing to go wherever, whenever, and whatever. Let that settle into your heart. All of this, this global mission starts with surrender. And if he's prompting you to launch out, to go somewhere, I want you to let that settle in, even if it's fearful, even if you're not quite sure. If he's prompting you to be more supportive, maybe you've gotten a little lackadaisical with your support and prayer, and uh, maybe you need to ask him to refresh you into some of those ways. I pray that you allow him to do that. You are a part of the story. Father, 
you're speaking and you're moving in a powerful way. It's dear to your heart. It's your dream, as Randy has said, Lord, to have people from all nations worshiping you, Lord God, every culture, every ethnicity, every tribe. And we have a part. I pray we would listen to you as to what our role is. Help us not to feel overly guilty like we got to do a bunch of stuff. But also, Lord God, help us not to neglect when we know you're speaking to us and leading us because we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful followers of you. So I pray for us as a church, Lord, that you would fan into flame whatever it is that you want to do, whether it's as a church or individually, Lord God, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would have your way with Grace Crossing Church. Because we believe your church is global. It's not just right here, Lord. And there's so many that need you. Help us to know our part. Help us to move in step with your timing in this so that we can give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.